Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Injured Reserve Podcast with your host, me, myself, and I, Mitchell Anderson. Folks, man, what can I say? Got a lot to cover. I, I'm sitting, I apologize. You know, I'm, I've been behind and whatnot. A lot of catching up to do. Uh, man, NFL playoffs. Uh, Clemson rolled the tide. Um, man, UFC 235 has gotten announced for another John Jones match with Anthony Smith. Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix finale between Fedor Emelianenko and Ryan Bader is going to come pretty soon, about two weeks from now. Oh, man, a lot to cover. Uh, today is Sunday, um, so I'll be making my uh, predictions for today between New England and Los Angeles Chargers. Um, you know, uh, review, uh, recap a few games from last night, especially between Dallas and uh, Los Angeles Rams. But let's jump right into it between Dallas and the Rams. So I know a lot of diehard Dallas Cowboy fans. When I lived down in Texas, that's all that state is about. Um, my prediction was, you know, um, as long as the Rams contain Zeke, as long as they contain Ezekiel Elliott, if he doesn't get over 100 yards rushing, Dallas becomes one-dimensional. They struggle. They struggle in offense. And as much as Dak has done, and I'm not taking anything away from him because he's actually done a phenomenal job, the problem is is that he's limited when the running game isn't going. That's the problem. The only real test he had was when Zeke wasn't playing in their final week. Excuse me. And Dak actually arguably had his best game of his career without Zeke. You know, without Amari, you know, all the all the the key players on the offense, and he threw for three touchdowns to over 300 yards. That was probably his best game of his career and faced that adversity. But that's only happened once in his career so far. And I get it. He's young. You know, he's only in his third year. But uh, <laughs> um, rings on the wall. Dak has to improvise. He has to adapt. He has to uh, strengthen his game. Be in, more innovative when it comes to, you know, these type of games. This is this is what Dallas pays Amari and Zeke that big that big money, and uh, most likely they're, they're gonna re-sign Dak for a big contract extension. So they, you know, they beat Seattle in the first round in the wild card, and they go to the divisional and they have to travel to LA, in which the Rams, you know, obviously they've been hot. Jared Goff kind of been iffy the last couple games, but he can get the job done nonetheless. Uh, the Rams made a big signing over the, um, a couple weeks ago when they signed C.J. Anderson. He's been on a roller coaster of jumping from team to team this past year, but uh, they signed him because Todd Gurley, you know, wasn't looking too uh, so healthy, having uh, some injury issues, but nonetheless, he was able to step up big last night over 100 yards rushing. Um, you know, CJ, he he was surprisingly the, uh, how can I say this? He was, uh, he was the, uh, I'm trying to find a definition, I guess, uh, the lone wolf or the, the, you know, the dark horse of the pack. No one expected him to uh, get as many yards as he did last night. Uh, phenomenal games for, uh, from CJ Anderson. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh. Crazy turn of events. Gurley and CJ Anderson both going off. And um, it was just, I don't know, it was a wild game. The writing was on the wall, I felt like, early. Like I said, if they contained Zeke, they were fine. So um, Dallas ranked fifth in the NFL in rushing yards, loud. And, uh, you know, they when they faced Seattle, 
you know, they had momentum going in. They held Chris Carson of Seattle to 20 yards on just 13 carries the week prior. Uh, but, man, when you get back-to-back duos like CJ, uh, he's just a, he's not going to do anything flashy, but he's just a short, stocky power back, you know, around 5'8", five, 5'9", five, uh, somewhere around uh, 220, I think, and just he built like a brick shit house, nonetheless. It's, it's like tackling a ref- refrigerator. It ain't going to be easy. That's for damn sure. Um, but, uh, you know, third down, they're a 1 of 10 finishing uh, third down conversions for Dallas. Uh, that ain't going to get the job done. Uh, no doubt about that. But uh, in the past 22 years, Dallas is 4 and 10 in playoffs, I believe. So it's just. Uh, uh, it's uh, rough to be a Cowboys fan, put it that way. But they have hope. They have a lot of young talent. They have a lot to look forward to. Now the question is, are they going to pay Dak Prescott that much money? Do you want to pay someone that much money? Can he, you know, is he going to be innovative? He's going to improve his game, you know, things of that nature. So it's 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 kind of up in the air. But um, I think he does deserve his money, no doubt. I don't know how much they're talking when it comes to contract talks. But Dak Prescott does deserve uh, a re-signing uh, contract extension. But... Um, We'll see. We'll see what that happens. I'm sure Jerry Jones, you know, he likes Dak Prescott as the quarterback. So, um, we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, it was, um, nonetheless, overall, great game. Uh, fun game to watch. 30 22, the final. But, uh, uh, Dak Prescott, 20 32, 266 yards, one passing touchdown. And, um, uh, Rams, uh, like I said, CJ Anderson and both Gurley going over 100 yards rushing. Uh, Anderson with two rushing touchdowns, Gurley with one rushing touchdown. Um, like I said, Jared Goff is iffy, but as long as they have a running game and he gets the job done, no turnovers, they have a shot, and that's what exactly what they did. 15 to 28, 186 yards, and uh, Rams go on to the NFC Championship. So between them. Uh, let's see here. My moraine so good right now. So, so the Rams will either face the Eagles or the Saints. So that's gonna be a that's gonna be a hell of a game, I think. You know, Nick Foles is honestly my opinion on Nick Foles and Carson Wentz is that you gotta to me you gotta shop Carson Wentz. But uh, that's just me. I get it, Foles. You know, in his early thirties now, but. Do you can Carson Wentz stay healthy? Do you want to pay him that much money? You know, is he gonna be? Um, I guess you could say a Don, Donovan McNabb in a sense. Like he starts off hot, he's great when he's healthy, but when he's not, he's not. And I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, is he gonna fall off because of these injuries? Is he gonna be limited? First, it was the knee. Then I think it was the foot. Now it's the back injury, and now he's out for the rest of the year. So, how much money you want to invest in someone that's only in their third, you know, year and hasn't completed a full season yet? While Nick Foles is leading your team on the charts and is about possibly could go back to back. I have Philly winning it all this year again. That's just my. That's just me though. I think they're again. Everyone is like, oh yeah. You know, it's just, you know, it's just Philly. We know what to do, but I don't think they do. 
When Nick Foles is that quarterback, Eagles are dangerous. I'd rather have Nick Foles than Carson Wentz. That's just me. Carson Wentz, yes. He's on that that uh, that Aaron Rodgers and that, that uh, Cam Newton-like uh, uh, talent. Uh, naturally gifted, everything, you know, the arm, the mobility, the agility, things of that nature. But at the end of the day, you know, when he's out the pocket, it's dangerous. It's scary, you know. And um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So I'm, if I'm an Eagles fan, I'd be like, I want Foles. If Carson Wentz wants to stay, cool. But we don't want to pay him that much money as he's the backup, period. You know, if Carson wants to go somewhere else, let him go. But if Nick Foles, say Nick Foles wins another Super Bowl this year, back-to-back, you're going to look at me with a straight face and say, yeah, they're going to let go Foles. They're going to let Nick, Nick Foles go and uh, keep Carson Wentz. So you're going to take a chance on an injury-prone quarterback that hasn't finished the entire season while you have a backup quarterback that's won a Super Bowl MVP and say, hypothetically, he wins it again. So that's just me. Say, you know, that's a that's a tough call for Philly, for Doug Peterson, the rest of the organization. Like, what do you do? Like I said, they've they win it all again this year. You gotta shop wins. The writing's on the wall. Period. Plain and simple. And then um Kansas City got their first win, uh, home playoff win in 25 years. The last time that happened, Joe Montana was the quarterback beating my Pittsburgh Steelers, going into overtime, winning by a field goal. Um, Colts uh, struggled all day, all all day. Uh, nothing flashy, you know. It was cold, but not too cold. And yeah, it was uh, it was bad weather at first, but they, they eventually end up clearing up at Arrowhead. But I told everyone, it's like I'm not sold on Andrew Luck. Yeah, he's having a great regular season, but when it comes to the playoffs, I'm not sold on Andrew Luck. 19 of 36. 203 yards, one touchdown. That's trash. It's barely, you know, it's basically throwing 50%. When it when it came to anyone else, like a RG3 or Tim Tebow or Lamar Jackson, y'all crucified him. And speaking of which, Lamar Jackson played a phenomenal game. Yes, it was rough. It was rowdy, things of that nature. But name me a rookie quarterback that's had a phenomenal uh, playoff debut. You know nerves are going to be high on that. A lot of Joe Flacco, Ben Roethlisberger... Uh, Peyton Manning, a lot of rookie quarterbacks struggle, you know, in their first playoff game. Even Tom Brady, it happens. You know, for a rookie, this, they're they're experiencing everything for the first time in their NFL career. So he's got that experience. I think, I honestly believe Baltimore Ravens are going to be dangerous this year. In the AFC North, they're going to be a legitimate threat. Uh, get some players, build some tools around Lamar Jackson. They're going to be scary. They'll shop Joe Flacco. Uh, rumors are always swindling around that he'll go to Jacksonville. So that's a possibility, and I believe it, because Blake Bortles is trash. And Jalen Ramsey had to pay for his words as he was talking trash earlier this year. So uh, with that being said, um, Kansas City v. Indy. And uh, I, t- I would take New England today over San- or over the Los Angeles Chargers as much. I want My heart says Chargers, but my heart is under 500 when making picks. Can't go against the GOAT, Tom Brady. So, And then uh, uh, the afternoon game, I got to go. I think Philly pulls the upset against New Orleans. I, I, you know, like I said, my heart wants the Saints because I like Drew Brees, but I think Philly's more dangerous. 
you know. So uh, I believe it will come down to between Philly and the Rams in the NFC title game. And then uh, Kansas City and the Patriots. And um, I generally believe we'll see another rematch. I, by the way things are looking so far, Nick Foles stays healthy. Brady stays healthy. Um, the key components right there at the end of the day. Um, yeah, Tom, yeah, Tom Brady's gotten old. And father time is starting to somewhat show in the regular season when, you know, his play playing is declining a little bit. But come playoffs, completely different level. You know, that's why I don't think Patrick Holmes will be able to ha- handle that kind of uh, maturity yet when it comes to the AFC Championship against, you know, someone so young, against someone so uh, talented and mystified, and that's already cemented their place and uh, legacy in the Football Hall of Fame, such as Tom Brady. Uh, I don't see I don't see that happening, you know. So, um, so Kansas City, New England, AFC Championship, and... Um, uh, Philadelphia Eagles meet up with the Los Angeles Rams NFC Championship and Philly against New England rematch part two. But with that being said, I'm going to take a quick little break and you are listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Engine Reserve. So, in about two weeks uh, from now, uh, less than two weeks technically, January 26th, Bellator 214, Fedor Emelianenko faces off against Ryan Bader. So, man, as much, and most of y'all that listen to my podcast, I'm a diehard Fedor Emelianenko fan ever since watching him, you know, since high school. Um... And he's been a, he's made a phenomenal comeback and a run, you know, beating legends such as Frank Mir and Chael Sonnen, you know, notable heavyweights to that, uh, you know, men like that. But um, I don't know, uh, to be honest, um, facing someone like Ryan Bader, who's also a light heavyweight champion in uh, Bellator, that's a that's a tough task. That's a big mountain to climb. Um, if it was Fedor, you know, 10 years ago, then I would take Fedor all day. But the thing is, I can tell the significant difference between Fedor now and 10 year, 10 years ago, Fedor, you know, the man's 41 years old, 41, 42, somewhere around there. And, um, man, it's just the speed, a significant difference. And I think Ryan Bader, his speed, I think he has a little bit more punching power than Fedor. And he's displayed it against King Mo uh, in his previous fight in Bellator. So I don't think, um, I, d- I don't know. I think this uh, this run uh, ends for Fedor. And honestly, I hope he retires after this. Because uh, it's, it's hard to see someone that you, you look up to kind of dwindle down. And I don't, you know, someone like that uh, takes so many beatings. Um, so with that being said... Um, I don't know. I uh, like I said, uh, my heart loses more than uh, than my brain. <laughs> so uh, f- of course my heart's with Fedor, but if I'm betting, I take Ryan Bader. That's just me. Um, Bader's been on a roll. He's uh, he's gonna cement his legacy. It's got time to. It's one of those uh, passing of the torch moments, you know, between Fedor and Ryan Bader. Bader. Um, He's got a phenomenal re- resume, uh, and he's going to cement this one, too. Um, I think it ends in knockout, to be honest with you. Um, 
he's just uh he's 35 years old so uh you know seven year difference between him and Fedor and he's beaten a lot of great you know uh, his resume sticks out for itself as well man I mean Phil Davis Rashad Evans um Quentin Rampage Jackson, Phil, uh, Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira, Muhammad Law, aka King Mo, Matt Mitrion. Um, man, yeah. So it's just uh, he, he's fought against the best too: Tito Ortiz, John Jones, Lito Machida, Grover Teixeira, uh, Anthony Johnson, uh, which that was his previous loss, and that was um, that was uh, three years ago. January 2016. Ever since then, he's been on a see two, four, six winning uh, fight streak. So he beat Phil Davis for the light heavyweight uh, world championship. Uh, So we'll, like I said, um, phenomenal athlete. And there's nothing win, lose, or draw. There's nothing to take away from both these men. They've, you know, they're already legends of the sport. Fedor, his resume alone. I mean. Uh, those who don't know, uh, when MMA wasn't even that big at, at the time, when UFC was just starting to up and coming, same thing with the Pride, which is now disbanded. Pride was a big promotion back in uh, overseas in Japan. That was the UFC. Uh, same thing. They, they produced a lot of fighters such as Anderson Silva, Chuck Liddell, fighters of that nature. People that don't know, uh, technically speaking, uh, Fedor was... Uh, Virtually, he was about uh, 32 and 0, uh, technically speaking. And uh, his only loss before he actually uh, came to a loss uh, against Fabrizio Verdum, which was his first legitimate loss, uh, his first uh, technical loss was uh, via cut, which was a doctor stoppage, which the rules of the MMA brand when he first started out was if you got a cut, you automatically lost. And that's what happened. He wasn't hurt. He didn't get knocked out. But technically, it's listed as a technical knockout. But people say Fedor was overmatched for him from the get-go. He just happened to get cut. So technically speaking, he was 32-0 and before finally losing to, to Fabrizio Verdum. And then he went on a heavy, heavy uh, losing streak. Uh, Fabrizio Verdum, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, Dan Henderson... He went on a losing streak. Then um, he went on to, to def- defeat Jeff Munson, uh, Satoshi Ishii. Um, he was kind of up and coming at the time. He faced Pe- Pedro Rizzo, who's a former UFC heavyweight champion. Uh, so and beating Ma- Maldonado as well. So he went on a you know five uh, five fight winning streak and. Uh, he retired initially after the Pedro Rizzo fight. Uh, that was back in 2012. Then he came back three years later. You know, he missed it. And um, so ever since then, his, la- his last fight was against Dan Henderson. That was July 2011. So that was eight years ago. And since then, he's... Uh, or no, excuse me. His, his, his last fight was against Matt Mitrion. And that was back in 2017. But since then, you know... Two, four, six, eight. You know, seven and one last, uh, uh, last eight fights. And like I said, I hope he retires. You know, he's he's done more than enough for the sport. He's thirty eight and five and one. He there's nothing left to prove. Like I said, Chael Sonnen, Frank Mir, uh, 
Jeff Munson, Pedro Rizzo, Mark Coleman, Mirko Krokrop, Antonio Rodrigo Nagera, Andre Flosky, Tim Sylvia, um, Kevin Randleman, Gary Goodridge, Heath Heron. Um, man, it's just uh, he's he's defeated a lot of legends of the sport that are legends in themselves in the heavyweight division as well. You know, so it, it really comes down to the, the top three to me when it comes to the GOAT discussion. It's got to be Fedor Emelianenko, John Jones, and Anderson Silva. And that's that's going to be a debate that never really ends to, you know. But who knows? You know, John is still in his prime, so he fights at UFC 235 against Anthony Smith. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting fight. Anthony Smith has got a lot of fights and a lot of experience, but uh, honestly, I think John takes it all the way. Because uh, I don't know who can even come close. Because we're experiencing what people were experiencing back in the early 2000s of Fedor. Uh, he was giving off that presence that he's really unbeatable. You know, uh, 22, 23, 24, 25, and all things of that nature. John is on that same pace. He's at 26, 27, and all. No one has even really come close except Alexander Gustafson. That was six years ago, and he kind of. It was close to, you know, the second time around, but John was able to figure him out. That's what makes John Jones so dangerous. He's innovative, and, you know, he's very smart, and his IQ is just phenomenal. And his, his God-given talent, his length, his reach at about 81, 82 inches, it makes it hard to connect with him, someone like that. So, so uh, we'll see what happens. Um but with that being said, that's my review. Uh, I believe Ryan Bader takes Fedor Emelianenko. I think uh, honestly, we'll we'll see. An, it's gonna be fireworks the first round, and I don't think it makes it past the second round to be honest with you. So, uh, but with that being said, uh, Bellator 214 January 26. I take Ryan Bader over Fedor Emelianenko. But with that being said, I'm gonna take a quick little break, and you are listening to Engine Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Injured Reserve. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, I had to work for the national championship game between Clemson Tigers and Alabama Crimson Tide. But, uh, you know, so I was only able to catch up on the highlights and whatnot. But, you know, as work is coming to a close and it's halftime, it's around, I don't know, 9 o'clock or so. You know, I'm expecting a field goal game, right? And I look. And it's 31-16. I'm like, hmm, two possessions. I'm like, all right, well, Bama's been here before. And, you know, they, they've been prone to make a comeback before. But that's been against teams like Georgia. For some particular reason, Georgia Bulldogs just, I don't know. There's something in their mind doesn't click, right? Like, hey, you know, keep keep pedals to the metal. They let off, they live off the gas, and Bama is back in the game like they did in all in the national title game, the conference championship, things of that nature. But uh, you could tell, um, man, by the way Clemson played, they had this game marked already. Like, 
We're going undefeated. We're going 15 and all. We're beating everybody and anyone. No one's even going to come close. And we're going to face Alabama. And we're not only going to beat them, but we're going to roll them. Ironically enough, we're going to roll the tide. And that's exactly what they did. 44 to 16. You know, in the year, the previous year, they lost, what, it was 21 to 6, 28 to 6, somewhere around there. They only put up six points against Bama the year prior. And. <laughs> Ever since then, Clemson's like, all right, we got you. You you one-upped us. We're even one-on-one. We're going to settle this in the, you know, come game three. And uh, that's what they did. You know, and Nick Saban getting up there and coaching 68, 69, and Dabble Sweeney. Everyone's all hyped about this and about this Trevor Lawrence kid. And don't get me wrong, f- freshman quarterback, long hair, eccentric look, but it works. And he makes it look work. And he makes it work. Uh, he's getting the best hype as a... NFL prospect right now since Andrew Luck and Paint Manning. So I want to pump the brakes on that because that you know this was you know the first national televised game that we've seen this can play on the big stage and he played like a senior and I'll give him props for that. But the crazy thing is crazy thing that uh you know I was reading online and about three four uh, NFL executives and uh, pro uh, scouting reports, about three or four of them all said he could play in the NFL right here, right now. That's how much hype this kid is getting. Like I said, I'm not doubting his talent. I'm like, can we just chill out a little bit? But <laughs> at the same time, I can't disregard him because of his play of what, he's did, what he did against Bama. You got to keep in mind, Clemson's going to have this kid for another three years. 20 of 32, 347 yards, three passing touchdowns. He outplayed Tua. Tua was two touchdowns, two picks, 295 yards, 22 of 34. And it was just 44 16. It was just, man, 15 and 0. Again, you know, it's just, Bama's had a great season, not to take anything away, but to get beat like this on the center stage by 28 points. It, it makes you question, like, what happened to Bama's defense? That's what they're always been notorious for. And it's just, I don't know. And the, the play calling was eccentric from Nick Saban, you know, going for a fake field goal, leading with a leading blocker. That was the the kicker. It was just, I don't know, it was so out of whack. It was so weird. It's just, you know, Saban's going to be 69 come next season. It's like, you know, when when's a good time to call it quits? But, you know. I don't know. I think this is the era for Clemson. Um, I, honestly, if I'm a betting man, uh, for a too early prediction right now, if it's Clemson and Bama again, I take Clemson again, no doubt. No, I, I, you know, I give Bama, you know, I give Bama the points. That's for sure. So, um, see if there was a rematch, and hypothetically, that could be a thing next year again. I think Clemson takes it. I think, you know, they, they're not scared. They operate, Clemson Tigers operate as a family, more as Alabama operates as a factory, as a, you know, as a facility, as a, as a military, you know, Nick Saban, you know, op, you know, he's the, the head dog, the big man in charge and, and all the co- and all the coaches follow suit as in opposed to Clemson, they're a family, they take care of one another, they're concerned, they look out for one another, if it's your problem, it becomes our problem, things of that nature, that's what I've read online, this is a significant difference 
between Clemson and Alabama. You know, and things are starting to change a little bit. You see it every once in a while, college football and pro football starts to change a little bit, uh, whether in position, head coaching, things of that nature. You know, it's a prime example for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. You know, they, they're they not a great program like Clemson or Bama or Georgia, but they're a good program. They operate well. They beat the teams they're supposed to beat. They beat Penn State. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Michigan State. It's just that always that one kryptonite team where it's Ohio State. You know, it, uh, it's like Ohio State. And uh, for Georgia, it's Alabama. It's just that one team. They beat everybody else. It's just that one particular team, and uh, you know. But um, Harbaugh has to be innovative and has to evaluate his playbook and has to, you know, he has to change his play style. You know, uh, like I said, I've said a thousand times, and I know I sound like a broken record, but grinding the ball up and running the ball. It doesn't work as much, you know, it works to a certain extent, but when you get to a shootout, you have to be willing to prepare to have a quarterback that's just as, you know, as fluent and as innovative and as uh, as agile to make uh, big game time decisions and place your, you know, your chance on your quarterback like a freshman at, uh, like Trevor Lawrence. I don't, I don't see, you know, you put Shea Patterson in the position as Clemson, He's not making those type of plays at all. So we need a quarterback of that nature. Hopefully, I'm hoping Dylan Caffrey is the answer. That's just me because I think he's he's more agile and he's he fits that. Uh, we need something different with the quarterback position. Shea is just a good quarterback. There's nothing wrong with that. But this is different time when it comes to quarterback arrows. Quarterbacks in college football can run and make the play and make the running on throwing the ball. So that's just me. So you know they picked up Alabama's offensive coordinator, uh, Michigan did. So that's that's a solid pickup. But we'll see what we'll go from there. But uh, Clemson, nonetheless, uh, phenomenal program. They're going to be dangerous for the next decade, no doubt about it. Davil Sweeney, great coach. You know, there, it just this was a, a epitome, uh, a key moment for Davil in his coaching career, and it just shows that. You know they're not scared of Nick Saban. They're not scared of old Nick Sa- old Saint Nick's defense and this and that. So it's just I don't know. Bama got punched in the mouth. It was, it's one way of losing by a field goal or last second you know return for a touchdown like Auburn. This was a flat out like we're coming at you. We're coming at you hard. We don't care who you are, who you beat, and it showed forty four to sixteen. An ass whooping of a lifetime. So, and it, it it's just, yeah. So, I don't know. It doesn't help that the SEC isn't as great as everyone thinks it is as well. Yeah, Bama and Georgia. That's it. And people hype up the Alabama and Tennessee rivalry. That's not even a rivalry. Tennessee hasn't been good in years. You know what I mean? So, let's, let's get that started. And so, the, the toughest conference right now, I'm going to be biased. It's the Big Ten. No doubt about it. No one compares to the Big Ten Conference. You know, Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Northwestern. You know, the P- Big Ten's a lot tougher. So, and pe- people could say, oh, put Michigan and uh, SEC. So they, they would do well. I am very confident of that. They would do just fine. They, like I said, they would have, they would struggle. They would, 
struggle against Bama and Georgia. That's it. They would, other than that, they would whoop anybody else. I'm fully confident in that. So that's just that's just my opinion. It's give you biased. Yeah, I know it sounds <laughs> it sounds like the hate, but it ain't. Big Ten is a tougher conference than the SEC or anyone else, or the uh, the ACC as well. Look at Florida State; they were junk this year. They had all that hype. Four or five years ago, they won the national title. What happened after that? So, but um, I don't know. <sighs> Boy, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to today's games as well with New England. Uh, I uh, no, it's a hell of a curveball. But uh, with all this football talk, we're going to take a quick little break, and you are listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. This is Injured Reserve, and this will be the final segment of the day. So, I'm sure most of y'all that listen to me on a consistent basis, um, I'm always appreciative of y'all. I'm sure most of y'all are wondering um, this whole Antonio Brown drama in Pittsburgh and this and that. Man, I don't really, I don't like to bargain in into personal issues and problems because I really don't know what happens, you know behind the curtains or for that matter in the locker room so it's hard to say you know following on social media and him unfollowing the Steelers on Twitter and Instagram and following San Francisco and things of that nature I don't know what really happened or what's going on but you know I hear talks of like you know guys like Ryan Clark you know put their two cents in and what they've had personal interactions with him and um it's I like AB, I do, and he's a phenomenal talent, no doubt about it. One of the hardest workers you can get. It's just the problem is, if he doesn't get what he wants, it becomes a distraction. It's more of a me, me, me instead of the team. So it's it's a hard thing to say, and I don't like citing, so I don't know who's right and who's wrong in this scenario. Uh, it, it is causing a lot of unnecessary headlines and drama on Pittsburgh, and I don't I think Pittsburgh lets him go. Not like they won't release him because they signed him to a big contract extension. But I think they'll definitely trade him. I just don't know where. Um, or who's going to trade for that type of contract for that matter. So, you know, the, 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 for anyone that doesn't know the background story, him and Ben Roethlisberger got into it uh, the final week, week 16 in the NFL. Um, you know... He didn't show up to practice at all, I guess, or whatever. All week. Keep in mind, this was the week that they had to, you know, they had to win and in hopes of uh, Baltimore losing so they can qualify for the playoffs. So it was a one-two combo. Everyone has to show up, bring their A game. Hey, we need to get this W, and let's uh, hopefully make it into the wild card. Tony Brown missed practice all week. He shows up to the game, and you know Mike Tomlin's like, "No, <laughs> we ain't having that. You got an attitude. You're gonna sit out. You want to play that attitude? You want to play mess around games? That's fine." So Tomlin, you know, he he labeled the hammer there, you know, and he lacks. He's a player's coach, which is cool to a certain extent, but he lacks the accountability and responsibility of you know knowing when to say no. That's the problem. So, uh, you get players of this ego and things of that nature. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, like I said, he's he's another thousand yard season, and apparently there was rumors of him being big mad because Juju Smith-Schuster won Player of the Year uh, according to the Steeler organization. It's a player-based voting uh, or uh, simulation, not simulation, but situation where all the players on the team vote who's the best player on the team. And they voted Juju Smith-Schuster. And apparently, Tony Brown didn't like that. So, I don't know. Uh, Ryan Clark made his take and said, you know, at the time when he was playing for sa- or when he was playing safety in, at Pittsburgh, you know, uh, it was during the time when uh, Mike Wallace, uh, they were going to give him a contract in Pittsburgh before he left. And if he didn't take the contract extension, they were going to sign it over to Tony Brown and give him a big contract. Ryan Clark said, if you give him a contract extension with that much money, his ego's got to go all through the roof. And sure enough, it did. Because one time, uh, uh, one time at practice, he cursed out, Tony Brown cursed out Dick Limbo, who's the defensive coordinator at the time in Pittsburgh. And um, Ryan Clark and Troy Palmolo, James Ferrer were all there to witness it. They didn't like that. You know, Ryan Clark got into uh, altercation with him and Antonio Brown. The reason being, Antonio Brown... Uh, supposedly, you know, cursed at Dick Limbeau was because um, one of the cornerbacks was guarding Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown didn't like the way one of the cornerbacks was handling it and said this and that, saying I'm the franchise, yada, yada, yada. You know, a lot of e- uh, uh, egotistical stuff. So, but uh, that's what, so there's a lot of issues there. And so I don't know. So it's... Like I said, it's it's a crazy situation. I don't see Antonio Brown staying in Pittsburgh. I don't see them mending fences at all. I, f- I feel like that bridge has burned. I wish him the best of luck. I like the guy, but I don't know. It's it's a tough scenario, you know, so I don't know. Um, he's had a phenomenal career in Pittsburgh, um, but uh, I don't know. It's uh, I don't see him... Uh, another organization that's going to make a trade for that type of contract, you know, alone where, you know, if he wants to win a Super Bowl. So who knows, who knows what will happen, but, um, I don't see a Tony Brown staying in Pittsburgh. I really don't. So, um, that rumors say San Fran, but we'll see what happens or what, uh, Pittsburgh can get for a trade in that. But, um, uh, that being said, it's the final segment of the day on the Instant Reserve Podcast. Again, I apologize that I've been lacking on episodes. I try. Uh, I've been crazy. You know, I'm starting school back up online. So, but uh, with that being said, I uh, hope you all have a phen- phenomenal Sunday. And uh, I'll talk to you all next time. This is Injured Reserve.